Mentality monsters. I'm going to use the word with the orange well rugby done. team. Someone press that arm. Take it off, Liverpool. <laughs> let's take it off, the Reds. And let's attach it to the Orlin rugby team. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now you're up along as Monday Night Rugby's go. This one is not so bad at all. The main men are here. All the complaining of Wednesdays. And now here you are to talk about <laughs> Grand Slam. Andy Dunn in studio. Hello. How are you, Joe? And Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times. You're very welcome. Thank you. Ireland 29, England 16. Uh, another bonus point win for Ireland. Incredible scenes, really. Maybe start with the scenes at full time. It wasn't like frenetic players running in 50 different directions. And yet there was something... Uh, very joyous and warm about the whole occasion and the kids being thrown up in the air with the trophy and the lap of honour was very, very special. Beautiful, beautiful day for Irish rugby. Yeah, beautiful day. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that we were waiting 128 years for Ireland to see the Grand Slam in Dublin for the first time ever? Almost worth the wait. Um, first title there in 28 years as well. Um, I was Like I said last week, I think I'm... You keep doing this and it's gonna, it's, it pains you that you've lost a decade. 38 years. Is it? It is what happens when you get old. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. It is 38. You're well, doing this all the time. Thank you did this much. last week Makes well. it even better. 38 years yeah. we've won a title in Dublin. I know. I bumped and into Donald Lennon, actually, on the that's way the, out, Is that the I Michael said, Kiernan game? Yeah, 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 Sorry, yeah. 85. So I said to him, 85 oh, yeah. is the last time, yeah. See? 15 and 23 equals 38. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got an A in algebra in the leaving as well. That's pretty bad, isn't it? You're right, I'm getting on a bit, obviously. Anyway, so thanks for the interruption. Um... <laughs> Um, yeah, it was very special, very special I, for lots of reasons. Just to win a Grand Slam in Dublin, in Lansdowne Road, the headquarters of Irish rugby, only the fourth in history. And of course, Johnny Sexton's last game, breaking the record, England, St. Patrick's Day, World Player of the Year's 50th cap, almost got lost in it all. It was, some, it was just the perfect script, unnervingly perfect, it almost felt going into the game. But I think that's part of, that was part of the issue now, that we, there was a little bit of an almost nervousness, apprehensiveness among the crowd, particularly in that first quarter of the game. Um, because I think this is almost like what it's like being a New Zealander following the All Blacks. Suddenly we've got this all-conquering team, probably the best Irish rugby team in history now, given they won a series in New Zealand last year and all the other landmarks. And it's the 22 wins out of the last 24. So it was... But they came through, found a different way. I think it was almost good that they were stressed. You don't want it. it everything shouldn't be so, so easy. And they learned from this in a couple of ways. One, that they were a little bit nervous and forced offloads and made 18 handling errors and weren't quite at their best, as Johnny Sexton pretty much admitted straight afterwards. Yet, as they do, they found five different ways to win five matches out of five without ever really looking like they were going to lose. And also, like they could have won by more, that they'd more in the tank, which is not a bad place to be. But yeah, I love the fact that they played free from Desire at the full-time whistle mm. and the whole crowd just young and old just sang and danced and waved their flags and danced up and down it was uh, yeah it was a very special atmosphere and it's great that we could celebrate a grand slam in its own right and it was a privilege for all of us to be there wasn't it yeah for sure and it does polish up the Irish CV generally Andy when you think it was one grand slam in 61 years mm. uh, to go 3 and 15 and now 5, 6 nations titles in 15 years as well 09, 14, 15, mm. 18 mm. 23 uh, so that's getting a bit more appropriate where we think Irish rugby has been for the last 20, 25 years. Yeah, it's, I think it's bang on the money in terms of what we deserve um, based on the consistency over that period of pretty high performing teams. Um, there were some great moments I over those years, but one of the nicest moments I think I've seen was as the team went on the lap of honour and it was so wholesome and the kids were there being thrown up and down with the cup, the management kind of stole up quietly to the podium. Everyone's eyes in the stadium was on the, the team going around and rightly so. The management, all the staff, a couple of their kids and families went up and got a very under the radar photo where they celebrated their own moment. And I thought that just indicates it's just a little bit of an insight into them. I think they're a very um, understated management group. They definitely try to not steal the limelight. Someone like Eddie Jones likes to be centre of attention and was all the time with the England team. But um, the, the personnel involved, Farrell, Cat, 
we were chatting off air, uh, Jerry, Simon Easterby, yeah. defensive coach. We've conceded six tries in this Six Nations, four tries in the last one. Ridiculous stats mm. for 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 uh, for that level of rugby, and um, just goes on, you know, goes almost unsaid. But they are a very John Fogarty as well, scrum coach. Super, yeah. I mean, looking at, we, I know we got penalised in that first scrum, and I heard James Tracy on earlier this morning saying, "Look, but we still laid down a marker. We went like a bulldozer to them in that scrum. Sometimes you give away the penalty, but we set down a marker. Don't England are not going to come and boss us in that area, but." Yeah, the, I do think the the coaching um, quality and um, just the, their their game IQ does go under the radar. And to me, that was a lovely moment. I just happened to pick up by pure chance when I was at the game was them kind of almost sneaking up apologetically to get a, a team photo of their own um, as as the crowd yeah. lauded the her- heroic players. You know, yes, didn't spot that. And Ireland on the defensive point. The stat was widely shared on Twitter. Have uh, conceded fewer tries across two Six Nations championships this than every other team this season. Mm. And again, we don't talk about the defence all that often. Mm. We bemoan a few too many missed tackles. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, and uh, perhaps because of the force of personality and the reputation of Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell, they we in the media discuss them a lot more. And Simon needs to be has a, a kind of a lower purpose public person as well but clearly his influence in shifting across the defence has been profound um, all those who are ever coached by him say he's excellent and um, yeah he deserves mention of that and it's, it's of course it helps as he admits himself that the head coach is a former defence coach so like Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton both say that they place a higher premium on their defence than their attack and if you see Andy Farrell in the coach's box celebrating a hard-won turnover in the defensive red zone. He's almost happier about those than he is about when tries are scored at the other end. And I think it's very much a benchmark of this team's kind of stubborn belief and what they're all about, really, you know, the defence. Uh, was Jerry Thornley happy with the atmosphere? Is there going to be a, 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 a reprimand in the pages of the Irish no, Times this week? you couldn't be. You know, it was great. Mind you, as I said last week, if... The Aviva wasn't going to be a fever this day. It was never going to be, was it? But it was perfect. Five o'clock, Patrick's weekend. Lots of people wearing green. The pre-match build-up was excellent. Um, I still think there's one or two things they could do better to make it even better again. And I thought a little bit of the turning point, actually, in that nervous opening quarter when Ireland didn't score early, as they had been doing up until the last two matches, was when England, um, when Hugo Keenan, of all people, sliced a kick to touch. Tyke Furlan haven't made another handling error. Yeah. Um, that... Uh, the English fans started to sing Swing Low and that always gets an Irish crowd going as I'd imagine it does in Murrayfield or Stade de France or anywhere else so yeah. maybe there should be a memo to England fans not to swing, <laughs> swing low away from home and that they also roared on that Irish defensive set and they broke out from that and uh, they were in the game hooked into them there and it was nice that Ireland had a comfy lead going into the last few minutes so that there was one last powerful rendition of the fields it just yeah. felt very special did pre-game I thought was amazing so I'd privilege of being down pitch side and it did occur to me generally I'm I'm much much higher at most games I tend to go mm. not least in the press box and the anthems again because we, we finish up and we, we, we have to walk to our seats you're on the, you're on the touchline we, we, we better stop because the anthems have started and it was I mean a surreal experience to be down there feeling like the stadium is is like on top of you and it sounded so loud and I was thinking, oh my God, I haven't appreciated how much louder it is on the pitch because everyone is is staring down at you and screaming in that direction. But then even Rob Carney did say that was as loud as he had ever heard at pregame. And he's heard his fair share of pregame. Mm-hmm. So there was something in the atmosphere uh, fitting for the occasion. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, and I actually felt similarly like that, that it was it was... It was rocking beforehand, yeah. but it did get like it did get nervous. I wouldn't say it was the crowd getting quiet or not being good supporters. I there was a real palpable sense of oh oh there was an oh oh, and I think and did you get a feeling it's going to be one of those days for a moment? I definitely got that feeling. Yeah. I definitely got it when you saw things like hooks to touch from Hugo yeah. Keenan and yeah. knock-ons and. I think there was 18 defenders beaten in the first half, but no offloads made, which was really interesting to me because what we were seeing was we were we were actually doing the right things, but we weren't able to, to maintain possession or have a, a continuity to our play. So we were we were dangerous for a split second almost, but then it broke down somewhere. 
whether it was the ball carrier not placing it right, that's very important. If it's bobbling around and you've the likes of a toe kicking a foot out or whoever trying to be disruptive. Or maybe the rook wasn't, whoever hit that rook wasn't as detailed as we typically are, but the ball was loose and bobbling around too much where we didn't, we just didn't have continuity in, in that play. And it, that started to spook me for sure watching it and just thinking, are we, is this going to be one of the great meltdowns I thought at one stage and uh, it's, it's, it's funny you know so you have, I, I guess you were both working at the game um, and you keep notes and I went from writing six minutes sloppy eight minutes sloppy eleven minutes sloppy and I was thinking well actually it's not sloppiness at a certain point there's nerves here mm. absolutely you know that, 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 it, this team isn't sloppy that often so it's a nervousness married to English line speed coming up so at, at one point uh, Andrew Trimble was saying well Ireland need more depth here because too many times there are passes mm. with English bodies effectively alongside them in the line there's not enough room Alan Quinlan was suggesting well maybe kick a bit more but again that struck me Jerry, as part of a nervousness because Irish teams are practised against this kind of rush defence at this stage they can adjust you know they did it against South Africa in November they weren't adjusting England were causing havoc and let's call it nerves as opposed to sloppiness. Uh, but certainly the occasion meant that they couldn't just descramble as quickly as they might otherwise. Yeah, I think the occasion got them a little bit. Yeah, I think they were palpably a little edgy in their play, forcing things, offloads that weren't on, trying them, not going to hand. I remember one James Lowe on the left wing. Even the offload by Mac Hansen intended for Hugo Keenan, which led to Freddie Stewart's red card, was, you know, forced and loose. And that was kind of, until Jack Conan came on the pitch with that offload for Dan Sheen, they just weren't sticking at all. Yeah. And, yeah, they're human. You know, they, clearly the magnitude of the they knew the script and they were trying to embrace it, yet it also treated it as a normal game. But, of course, it wasn't a normal game for all the reasons we outlined at the start of the show. And I thought back to a 2011 World Cup final in Eden Park. New Zealand hadn't won it since in 24 years. They were in Eden Park, their fortress, against a French team that were in revolt with their coach, had been beaten by Tonga on the way to the final. Yeah. And they were lucky to scrape over the line by 8-7. They choked. The All Blacks choked at home. In a weird sense, it's almost, you can understand it more at home than you can away. Like, mm-hmm. say, the series decider in New Zealand... There wasn't that great weight of expectation. Um, the, in many respects, the pressure was more on the All Blacks because they were the home team. Ireland were in almost bonus point territory, but if they could win that series, make history. But this, when were they ever going to get a chance to win a Grand Slam on Patrick's weekend in Dublin in Johnny Sexton's last ever game? Obviously, last six games, Six Nations game. Never. <laughs> it was a complete one-off, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. They had so many powerful motives for doing it for Gary Ringrose, Ty Byrne, Ian Henderson, all the injured players because they've used 32 players, so there was another nine not involved that day, plus all the other members of the squad. But I think that's good, you know. I think that's really good that they experienced this. Okay, they learned from this, the fact that they were a little nervous and edgy in their play. And they'll also learn from the fact that England came after them at the breakdown. They really went after Ireland's rock ball, much like the box did in the first half particularly, and, you know, destabilised Ireland's game, were helped by the inaccuracies that you pointed out, Andy. They really went after it. They kicked the ball the leather off the ball as we always knew they would because Steve Borthwick is a statistically driven coach. They they had no sense of identity for four rounds and then they suddenly had to find one because they were at the backs to the wall yeah. and it came with a restricted game plan that might well be the template for others to try and emulate and certainly South Africa will throw much the same at the World Cup and therefore they found a way to overcome that again and it, you know their recycling was much better in the second half. They didn't have as many issues. I know England were down a full back but still in all they, found, they were just much more accurate in the second half and well in the final quarter particularly. They came on strong in the final quarter. So I think there's loads of beneficial lessons in that for them. Yeah. Far better than if they had a commanding, easy win, actually. Much like the red card in Twickenham last year, when it rallied England and they were very pumped up and got scrum penalties and the crowd got into the game like never before. And Ireland lost their composure a little bit. And I know some people are very critical of that performance. I thought, no, that's going to really stand to them. And it stood to them in the second test in Dunedin when the same thing happened. So... Andy, taking all Jerry's points about the uniqueness of this occasion and the nerves, and it's funny, for all that we've uh, saluted Gary Keegan, uh, Rob Kearney said he'd spoken to a few members of that team during the week and they said they'd never been as nervous. So the nerves were a real live thing for this team Mm. because of the occasion. Something we say is that the South African game plan 
with nerves and World Cup pressure is easier to implement than what Ireland are trying to do when they're at their flowing best. Mm. And so I, I w- will they take a lot from the weekend and, and, and be more able to handle it come World Cup quarterfinal or semi-final or beyond touch wood? Or will there always be a degree where that game plan is much harder to implement and nerves are something that are, you know, are, are liable to spring up again and affect Ireland more than they might a Springbok team? I don't think so. I think they are, they're, they have an ability to solve problems on the go. Pre, I think maybe previous Irish sides in that scenario, I'm not sure what they have solved in the game. And isn't it, it's a brilliant place to be is to learn all your lessons from a win rather than a narrow loss. But you mentioned um, Andrew Trimble had commented about the depth. Yeah. If you if you have a game plan that is, you know, dynamic as as dynamic and creative creative as our game plan is, you do require players to they have to hold their run, their depth. So when nine releases the ball, when Gibson Park or Murray releases the ball from the rook, if everybody's overly charged up and super motivated and nervous, what happens is they use that pass as a trigger. Everyone runs and you get completely too flat. The rule of thumb should be, as a support runner, you can see the number on the jersey of the guy inside you. If you can see his number, you're probably in the right place in terms of coming onto the ball. So many times in that first half, certainly from my position, you were looking at a very, very flat group of seven, eight runners. There's no real option for the ball carrier. There's no option out the back door. There's no decoys. But it's so obvious to me that that is coming from a place of enthusiasm and they just they just couldn't rein it in. And how, you know, you can certainly forgive them that. But the fact they can identify that and by the second half, whether they're doing breathing techniques or whatever they are doing to calm themselves down and start to execute under pressure, there was such a clear distinction in our attack going in later into that second half where we looked more like ourselves and we looked more like the shape we have been so damaging to other teams in our attack. We still didn't quite fully click, but to me that's it says a lot for the experience, the maturity, the calmness within the group. That that just signified a capacity to put a foot on the brakes in terms of the emotion and that was really powerful to me. And do you think it's overcritical to say, well, they should have addressed that themselves in the first half? Yes, I think it is overcritical. I think you know, the emotion got to them, things happening very hard. I mean, you, you you need to see a pattern before you can correct it. It probably happened three or four times. They probably didn't even realise it until, I'd imagine the likes of Sexton or whoever's the first receiver. I know from playing that position myself, you're getting cramped yourself. You can't pass to anyone because they're all too flat. Somebody's probably said it and I'm sure the coach has got a message in through the water boy or whatever. But I think it's a bit critical to say they didn't fix it early enough. I just, I think, it needs time to develop as a mistake almost before you can correct it so um, but the fact they did that's that's a mistake I've seen teams make in cup finals who get overly worked up all the time they don't they don't correct it at all and then the attack goes breaks down completely so I, I thought it was a brilliant fix The other thing I thought they did as well you might just I'm sure I think you, I'm sure you will just agree with me is that I really love the way they used the blind side in the last quarter. Oh, I fantastic. don't think any team in the world uses the blind side as well as the Ireland did. They did the same in Murrayfield. So well. And the temptation always is against 14 men. Oh, got to use the width. Let's use the whole width of the pitch. And then particularly against 13. Oh, we've got to use the... Uh, mm. And they didn't. And Bundy had a really... Bundyaki had a really good game. He kept His footwork was outstanding as well as his mm. strength. I mean, I thought that might be a draw with Manu Tulago, which would be a result for us, an actual fact. Mm. It was a win for Bundy, I thought. And then Gibson Park kept going back blindside using Mac Hansen as a playmaker. I think all three tries came on the blind side. Mm. Could I uh, throw a, 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 an addendum to that? Yeah. Because uh, chatting with Matt about that yesterday, we were in doing the 20s game and just still basking in yesterday. And, and in, he, he was saying, Gibson Park and Ireland did that all game. They'd go two open side and back mm-hmm. blind side. And his point was, if you look at end on end, uh, England, like a lot of teams now, are so terrified of how quickly Ireland can get all the way out to the open yep. side touchline. Yeah that they are abandoning the short side a little early mm. to scramble across and then Ireland come back and take advantage. So 
against a lesser team, he was making the point, Andy, other teams might be less inclined to scramble to cover the open side because they would mm. think, well, let's see how good you are, how quickly can you get across? Mm. Whereas with Ireland, they're looking over at James Lowe out there and they're saying, Christ, these lads will move the ball quickly. We better start get moving. And then bang, blindside opens up. So like it's extra weaponized because Ireland can go all the way out to Lowe if they need to. And also very quickly, they often have two pods ready set up on the open side as well. Mm. So they are keeping the open side on us. Yeah. Because it's the great, every time there's a two-man clear out and Gibson Park gets the ball, he there are 13 players all serving a purpose. But the, the, the wonderful strategic side of it is if you're, if you're the England team and you're down a man and Ireland have the ball out near a touchline, it doesn't, it doesn't matter a huge amount that you've lost a man in that scenario because you've got a flat line of about 9, 12, 9, 10, 11, 12 players who can rush up. You're, you kind of negate the fact you've lost a man because you're comfortable there. You've enough people either side of you. You've got a chain of three either side of you and you've got a bit of artillery behind you. It's when the ball goes into midfield that you're exposed because the back three or the back two in this case because Freddie Stewart's no longer there they're completely exposed in the backfield and you've just a ruck in the middle you don't have a line of seven, eight, nine players that you feel very comfortable in a lot of defenders feel comfortable with numbers when they start getting edgy it's when there's suddenly there's two to three on a short side with a lot of space and no one in behind you so I thought that was a brilliant little take on on our attack and how we exploited that but also we used the blind side for Dan Sheehan's try yes. uh, off, the, off the line out that was a planned move but if you freeze frame that when uh, when Van Der Fleer are you doing the first one the first the, one yeah. the very yeah. first one yeah. when Van Der Fleer comes off the mall the back of the mall it looks to me I, saw, I just caught a freeze frame shot mm-hmm. there's yeah. about six people who look like they could get the ball or receive the ball. They're coming from Sexton, they're coming from Henshaw, Aki, much further out. There's a man inside um, Van der Fleer and then there's two on, two on the blind side and yeah. one Gibson moving Park to the blind side, Gibson both, Park. Yeah, so there's, there's literally about seven people who look like they're going to get the ball. But what that, How did it look so easy that we created space for Dan Sheehan? Yeah. There's about seven other people yeah. being completely man-marked. We just flicked it into Shane. That was wonderful use to the blind side as well. So, like, just very, very smart. They're very clever. Very and, and, and very yeah. nuanced. Very yeah. Well. yeah. And to be fair, on the nerves point, you know, when it was starting to feel like one of those days, they execute that with the plan. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, did Van der Fleer even look the time and the timing of Sheen's run onto the ball? It straight off the training ground. It couldn't have been more perfect. And then. When Sheen comes onto the ball, everybody in the ground knows he's going to score after two strides. He is they, they, fast. <laughs> oh, he's explosive. Wow. Turbocharged. The explosive. Other, from that line, they, they took it down, but they never moved the mall, which meant the English defence couldn't come up from 10. They had to be 10 metres back. Yeah. So every single part of that was planned. Yeah. Had they moved one inch, the English defence is allowed to come up. They just caught the line out and they remained static. Mm-hmm. That kept them 10 yards back. They put two guys on the blind side, but the English uh, front row had to defend. And then suddenly we've got this little flick pass inside where it was all the space from. They, they created it from... That was an absolute playbook stuff yeah. um, from Paul the training Collins, field. Paul O'Connell and the video analyst. Yeah, yeah, a beauty. Yeah, absolute yeah, beauty yeah. of a try. I think three of the four li- tries came directly off line outs. Yeah. Originated in lines. And then you also have, like you were talking about Dan Sheen there, Joe. Like... Big players produce big performances in big games. And he had been injured six days previously. On Monday, they said they didn't expect him to play at all. Mm. But come match day, he clearly decided, I'm going to have a big game today. And his stats were ridiculous. The 11 carries, the amount of me, I think he made the most metres of any player for a hooker, which is ridiculous. And he didn't play the full 80. And he just grasped them, that game by the scruff of the neck going into that last quarter. He peels off a line out that actually is inched back slightly, the catch and drive, peels off to the right and beats Van Portevelt purely with footwork. He actually stops him, stands him up and beats him with footwork. His second carry is explosive and direct and powers over the gain line. And with his third carry, he finishes. Like, it's just, it's an, he's an amazing weapon to have. I mean, you pick him in a team of the tournament now and you pick him ahead of Julian Marshall, probably after last Saturday's performance. Which, but you do need big player, big performance from big players and big games and he produced. Yeah, you sure do. We're going to take a short break. Jerry Thornley and Andy Dunn staying with us. Back in one second. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. 
Now you're welcome back. We're uh, picking our way through Ireland's Grand Slam win at the weekend. Jerry Thornley and Andy Dunn are here. Any other performances catch your eye? Ryan Baird. Ryan Baird. As soon as you said it, that's what I said. Big turnovers. I mean, big turnovers, but big carries, good tackle count. Um, it's sometimes confusing because himself and James Ryan were matching headgear. Who's doing what all the time? I did at one point say, well done, James Ryan. <laughs> yes, exactly. Bottom of a pile of bodies. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was Baird with the turnover. After James Ryan's tackle, in yeah. fairness. And yeah. that was a huge moment in the game. He it, said afterwards, I just copied what Tyke Byrne does, yeah, which right. was interesting. interesting. I mean, learning at the master's feet. He said, I'll, I'll give credit to Tyke Byrne. I just copy what he does. This was the biggest game of his life. He was playing in... The, we all know the magnitude of the match in a starting pack that started all three tests in New Zealand apart from him he came in for Byrne and he delivered and he's, a, he's a, we all know he's a wonderful athlete with great skill set and now Ireland have got four quality locks going to the World Cup which is I thought his performance was a major boost major boost yeah, the turnover the 58th minute mm-hmm. I think or 59th I, yeah to me that was Possibly the game, like game, the game set and match. And the big yep. turnover in Rome as well for the Ross yeah. Byrne penalty. At that stage, the game, the game completely changed on that turnover. Yeah, at that stage, it's 10 9. Yeah. 10 9 in England. Have, have, have England got the first score here? We're back to 10 9 after yeah. 10 6. And that, that leads to Sexton's cross kick and the yeah. headshot try. Yeah. So that's that's Baird's turnover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, penalty goes up um, from the line out. Yeah, Sexton's cross field. And, and again, a very smart, astute kick uh, from Sexton. Good game management at that juncture particularly in the game yeah fine grass yeah great chase from Hansen yeah I did not like the slow motion replay of Johnny Sexton's standing leg no the, no, the no did. block if his studs had stuck in the ground there yikes yeah, dot, yeah. dot 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 yeah yeah well look they didn't they didn't thankfully but that is in keeping with the team of the tournament because like 32 players used mm. who would have thought that Finley Bielham and Tom O'Toole and Ryan Baird um, would have such big impacts in this tournament you know and players like that and yeah. Ross Byrne has come through and you know the, the, it's been a very good tournament and very productive tournament for Ireland going forward in that, concept, that no, context as well. I, I suspect Andy Farrell is of this thinking increasingly as well. There is no real need for a concerted deliberate rotation because injuries are going to yeah. force your hand. Mm. Mm. Who else caught your eye? Um, well in a negative sense a number of the English players caught my eye. I thought Mara Watoje looks like shadow of him, of his former self. I don't think Lewis Ludlam looks fit enough to play international rugby as a six. I think Van Portfleet is not of the required standard to be an English number nine. They don't don't seem to know what they're trying to achieve in midfield. I mean, other than this <laughs> word you've used, which it really does describe them well as this reductive style, they are... Uh, they're kind of at, at a crisis point I would have thought I, I really I mean of of English teams I've seen over the years they were poor they really were um, so yeah they probably they probably caught my eye more than Ireland playing superbly well which we didn't for about 60 minutes and the, the great moments that we had and the yes the tries were brilliant but yeah I, I was I was surprised by England and I, I just there's something going on over there in terms of like the premiership is swashbuckling entertaining stuff at times but I'm not sure if it's detailed enough and players are having to work hard enough at breakdowns for example in order to maintain fitness levels you know I just there's something amiss I would say in English rugby that I can't quite put a finger on because they've plenty of money and they've plenty of resources but they, they look like they're disimproving on mm. a, almost on a monthly basis at this stage and yeah. to me um, I don't want to take away from us winning a Grand Slam we fully deserve it we've a superb team but England are no great shakes at the moment I would have to say but Then again compared to 2018 France are way better than they were then Italy mm. are much improved yeah. Scotland are better since uh, they well, were absolutely. then so it's, I think a, yeah. it's a very competitive Six Nations I would, Very good one I, Absolutely I've been a brilliant tournament, brilliant tournament. I, mean, I would absolutely say that France, Scotland, Italy loving the way Italy attack do Scotland are very dangerous <laughs> France is superb but I do I, I think England in particular are a low ebb yeah. I do, you have, well, just one follow up in England and we'll get back to Ireland then mm-hmm. you've seen Borthwick at close quarters this week it's a, probably zero importance to what he's doing on the uh, training field however I've seen several journalists say that there's something almost bizarre about his inability I presume very much deliberately on mm-hmm. his case but his inability to answer even innocuous questions so I haven't watched his press conferences in full but I've seen several journalists say it's actually kind of strange yeah it is 
and, and post-match on television as well, not answering, giving direct answers, direct questions, giving the same answer regardless of the question, being the opposite of revealing, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, it's, quite, uh, it's quite curious. I actually did say to a couple of my English colleagues, I don't envy you, huh. not only your team, but your, uh, your press conferences material as well. What do you think his game is? Um, I think he's all uh, in the little bit I know him, he's always been like that. I went to a press conference of his in 2017 uh, when he was on the Lions tour and the assistant coaches each got a turn at doing it. I sat down and listened to very similar kind of answers, very unrevealing, not giving away much. And um, I went away from it and never listened to the tape again, didn't use the quotes in any way, shape or form and never went to another Steve Borthwick press conference. Okay. One of those things, if you're winning, it looks somehow like genius. If you're losing, <laughs> it's another thing yeah. where you say, what's going on with this guy? So <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see how they go. Um, Sexton coming off and the stadium standing and him hands on hips, thoroughly fed up. <laughs> situation yeah. uh, was a very Sexton uh, thing. But very fitting in some respects. Like it, it <laughs> crystallised his career. <laughs> it was just palpable how much love there was in the stadium. For him, I mean, it really mm. was. It felt his occasion as much as Ireland's mm. occasion. It's an interesting thing to tease out. Like you, you talked about uh, last week. We were talking about when he first became captain, and should he be captain? Was yeah. uh, you know, mm. you mentioned Jerry and uh, the shaking of the head when he came off in Paris. And I don't know, top point scorer, captain of Grand Slam winning team. Like if he had hung up his boots in nineteen. It would have had an amazing legacy, mm. but it does feel like this four years have taken sex. It has they have taken seconds to like another stratosphere of popularity, even on the Late Late Show a couple mm. of weeks ago. Excellent. How well he represents himself and Irish rugby by not saying too much as well. Like yeah. just, uh. Was it you who said it to me that um, and it's terrible, actually, that the, the, the young woman who was on with him, who was my God, she's the hero of the story. Mm. Ultimately, we're talking about rugby players who are very privileged, but Ryan Tuberty gave them both like a final word and, and, and she said her piece and Sexton sort of in his very authentic way and mm-hmm. not showbiz at all he said well I can't say better than that and mm-hmm. shrug the shoulders um, that kind of uh, relatability and he's, mm. he's, he's not you know I think others might have sat back and said well here's my uh, prepared you know minute to camera and uh, he's not that way inclined No, but I think Irish people love him all the more for that yeah he's I, he's genuine he really is mm-hmm. but um I think he's liberated in this um, in this group. I, th- I think he's the weight yeah. of the world on his shoulders in in the Schmidt era because he was in charge of almost every facet of how we played, and he was a huge a huge responsibility in, in that team. I think his responsibility his his impact is still as great when he plays well, but I think his responsibilities are. Um, somewhat shared across the group and there's a lightness to to the group that wasn't there in the four years leading up to 2019 because of there's a sense of fun how they go about their business as well they're, they're, the coaching team allow them be themselves, treat them like adults and I do. I think he's he's in some way has a has a little feeling of he was liberated from the stress of being the on field CEO for so long. Whereas now he can he can go out and implement a game that he knows others can really contribute to. It's not all on him. That that is my sense of of watching him, and that that you know while while I think maybe over the years you saw this kind of gushing love towards some players what what I think you see from the crowd is this real respect this just we have to stand like the, it felt like everyone had to get up on their feet and applaud this person out of just sheer respect for the physical commitment he's shown for the smartness he's shown the leadership all of the things came together at once and like you said it kind of was a fitting perfectly fitting moment that he had a cranky face but he did he didn't mean it in any way to be he's just such a competitor he was like Johnny, I do not want to you don't have to don't defend a rook yeah. against 14 English I'm not going off this the last defender on the, on the grumpiness I would yeah. um, liken him to Andy Murray yeah yeah mm. Murray for me was a slow burner yeah 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 and I remember it's a very thinking, good analogy yeah, I remember yeah. thinking who is this miserable, grumpy yeah. tennis? Yeah. De- like, yeah. 
I found and, and now I love Andy Murray more than any tennis player in the history of the game. <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah. think with well, Sexton, like if you think how lucky in some respects the media was with like O'Driscoll, O'Connell, Dunnock O'Callaghan would go on the Late Late Show, Roger Raj. on the Late Late Show. And so I think when Sexton first went on the Late Late Show, there was a sense of, Jesus, what's up with your man? What a yeah. grump. Yeah. Over time, akin to Murray, I think everybody's got to know him, realised mm. how authentic he is, how intelligent he is. Being captain means he's doing press week in, week out. How bloody interesting he is in press. Yeah. I remember he came back from France and did an interview with Jer here and off the ball. And he said, the culture at Leinster is not the culture I left. I was like, Ooh, wow. Yeah. And ever since then, almost every interview he gives, he drops truth bombs and says really interesting things. Plus the fact that he's superhuman and into his 30s and physically so brave and so talented, gifted, everything. You swirl it all around and I just feel it's been like this golden period of appreciation for Johnny. Yeah, totally. I think there's been a few things, staging posts along the way and I agree everything Andy says, the current regime is part of that. I interviewed, it's good like that, there was a ridiculous amount of column inches devoted to Johnny over the last week and lots of comments about him and, and discussion about him on air and he deserves it because he's... Mm quite possibly Ireland's greatest ever player it's, because it's not just as if he's captain and record point scorer and he'd probably overtake Roger in that too eventually mm. but he's so much of an on-field driver and off-field driver like he was instrumental in getting Joe Schmidt and Stuart Lancaster to Leinster he was instrumental in getting Andy Farrell over to Ireland I'm sure of it because he's just that he cares so much and demands so much and he's such a competitor and he's got such high standards the highest standards of anybody I mean I'd safely say it's basically Andy Farrell himself and, and Paul O'Connell are the three main drivers of this team and I think he suffered for the on-field persona and the grumpy face and also the the battle with Raj over the jersey and how that kind of got, got very feisty. Um, and he never really had the kind of clutch moments that Raj often had against Northampton, particularly against Wales in 09 with the drop goal, until the drop in Paris. I thought that was a big yeah. turning point. That was his big first big real clutch moment and it was the greatest of all clutch moments because of the 41 phases that led up to and everybody else making their contributions. Conor Murray with 40 of the passes, not least. And... Um, that kind of changed perceptions of him. Then, as, as you say, his public persona. I interviewed Raj last week about him and he, he said something quite revealing, pretty well on the lines of what Andy was saying, but he said there's, there's an inner contentment now because he's getting the respect that he perhaps didn't always get in the past. You know what I mean? Because, after all, they are all human <laughs> and he is getting... A, it's almost embarrassing now, I think, for him. He didn't actually like some of the build-up last week. He didn't want it all to be about him. Yeah. But... And then I also interviewed Dan Bigger. I was amazed. I got Dan Bigger's email address last Tuesday, emailed him, and, emailed, and asked him, would you mind saying a few words about Johnny for peace I was doing? He emailed me back with 60 seconds and said, yeah, I'd love to, Jerry. no problem. Text me your number and I'll give you a call tomorrow. This is while Wales were in camp in Nice. So he rang me. I rang him on the way in here. <laughs> so I was a bit late. <laughs> and he said, he told me that in 2013, Bigger made his Six Nations debut against Ireland in Cardiff. And Johnny gave him his jersey after the game and didn't ask for one back in return. So, no, you have my jersey. It's your first Six Nations game. And he thought, wow, what a man. What a, and he got to know him, obviously, on the Lions tour particularly well. He says he's one of his favourite competitive opposition, compo- uh, counterparts, not least because he knew he was to play his best because Johnny gave you nothing for free. But he also has so much time for him as a person. You know, had a few beers with him and the Lions tour got to know him better, learned from him. And then he said to me that, um, you know, it's very rare in sport, Jerry, that you would... You'd, most of the time you'd want your counterparts to miss kicks or not play, or opposing teams not to do well. I've got a lot of good friends in that England team, but I want I want I think it'd be a perfectly fitting finale for Johnny if he was to break the record and go out a Grand Slam winner in his last Six Nations game. And he said, I for one will be texting him on Friday afternoon. Which I thought was a really classy thing to do, to say and shows you the respect he commands in the game, not just in Ireland. Mm. So it's great. Mm. <laughs> is Re- what I'm trying to say. Relief for Dan Bigger not to talk about strikes for <laughs> yeah. ten yeah. minutes. But yeah. Um and Keane Healy probably lost in it all, you know, his, potentially his last Six Nations game. That's true. Game. But that's the way he wants it. He mm, under the radar. And true. Out he goes. Um, the miss, misses warm-ups. Yeah. Some of the, great, some of the greatest <laughs> yeah. trick back heel flicks I've ever seen in, in Ireland warm-ups. Rabonas and all these kind of things, whatever you call them, but he's, he's something else. Everyone to not feel agile as well. Watch that man. Yeah. Yeah, stretching yeah. out those hamstrings. <laughs> 
Um, we, I'd say we'll come back to it maybe in more detail in due course but the Freddie Stewart red card is a talking point because there's been disagreement on it Huge. I don't think it affected the outcome but let's um, imagine this exact scenario in the World Cup and let's imagine it's a green jersey being shown a red card so then let's let's see uh, does the law need to change or was it the right uh, decision and the law is, is, is appropriate so you know I, you'd say headline news Hugo Keenan did fail a HIA so that's why th- there is an issue with what happened. But Stuart was saying, well, look, I had milliseconds. You heard him say that to Jakob Piper, I had milliseconds. I, cu- I just couldn't react. Um, intent is not the issue, as we know, but there is duty of care. I think so, intent is one of the issues. No, it isn't, but it should be, is the argument. It, now, intent, it's a fiendishly it, difficult thing isn't. to prove because only one person knows whether there's intent or not. Intent isn't but in the law. It's not. Ah, OK, sorry. Oh, I thought you were saying... No, he, sorry. Freddie I, Stewart had no intent. I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. Freddie Stewart Freddie knew Stewart. well what he was doing as far as I'm concerned. Really? Yeah. Oh, go on. Yeah, intent. If we're defined by intent... Sorry, I, I don't know how many. I played 11 years of professional rugby. You know, I don't care if it's many seconds or not, you know exactly where someone's head is and your elbow is all the time. And that particular moment, he left his elbow there to get him in directly in the head. That's my view. Now, I didn't think that until I saw the replay. I saw it real time and I went, oh no, that wasn't, you know, that was just a collision. Maybe you should be judging a moment like that in real time and not by replay. No, no. That's what I was going to make, yeah. No. I'm just, I'm 100% comfortable in my own skin saying he left it on him with an elbow and he was being smart and, you know, look, where where can I go? Where can I move? He definitely, he stitched him with an elbow and it hit, it hurt Keenan and he probably thought he was going to get away with it uh, because his arms are down and all that. But that's, that's where I'm jumping across you. Sorry with the intent thing because it's not in the, it's not the law, but you think intent was there. Yeah, I really, I just think, yeah, in, in a, Sneaky way. Yeah, it was like, there's no intent here. Of My arms are down. Where else can I go? Stitch him with an elbow to the head. That's what I think happened, yeah. Here we are. Uh, Freddie Stewart and I <laughs> defend himself, I should say, and he absolutely was arguing with the referee there isn't intent, but you saw what you saw and you're definitely allowed to interpret it. Mm. To give you a sense, Matt Dawson, for instance, officials are showing a real lack of understanding of the game. Uh, I can't disagree with how the contact is a red but it's the context of how it went to that contact. He is stepping and slowing and turning to get out of the contact area and he's been uh, punished by being sent off. But it's a mockery. He was doing his utmost to avoid any kind of contact. It's no, an utter wasn't. farce, says Matt Dawson. He was doing his utmost to avoid contact. <clears throat> I wouldn't say he was doing his utmost to avoid contact, Joe, but I'd say he was um, bracing himself for a collision and that Keenan went into him as much as he went into Keenan in real time. I think slow motion makes it look a lot worse, as all these things do. Um, the whistle hadn't gone as well. We should remember that. The whistle hadn't gone. I safely say when he saw that ball going to the ground, Freddie Stewart thought he was going to come and play the ball, whether kick it or whatever. And then uh, at the last second, literally, Hugo Keenan dips to pick the ball up. BBC Rugby special timed at 0.6 seconds between he, Keenan dipping his head to the contact being made. I You can throw a punch in 0.6 seconds. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can. It's all about all oh, 0.6 seconds, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You punch in, in less than that. Boxers can. All you I'm can, saying is... You an elbow on someone's head in 0.4 I take seconds. A point, yeah, I take your point, Andy. All I'm saying is, I don't know where he was meant to go. There was nowhere else for him to go. Some people had said, oh, he should have just fronted up and just taken the challenge face on. If he didn't sit no, no, with finish. an elbow. Yeah. yeah well, 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 he, can, he cannot go face on. Nobody does. It's a natural instinct to turn sideways. I do think you turn sideways. Now, do you lift your elbow and take one of the ribs? That's, that's a big ass that's as a big, well. Yeah. No, I, I'm, do you convi- not, I'm utterly convinced yeah. he did it with a view to getting away with it because he's nowhere to go would have been the, the story he can tell. Sorry, I know we're jumping out and across each other. I'm, yeah, I'm convinced. It's a very, it's it's a very complicated I know, one. I know, I know it's complex and a lot who, of people, who's to say I'm right? That's just my view. Ask I'm 10 people yeah. afterwards in Lands End Clubhouse and I'd say five would say red and five would oh, say to- yellow. Totally. It was one of those. It was an orange. Most but people I talked to said red was too harsh. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I know I get that. I just think he was being a bit of a sneak. Well, <laughs> I thought there was enough mitigation there for yellow and my initial reaction was astonishment. It was not astonishment, but I was quite surprised when he got a red, I must say. Mm. Almost as surprised as Owen Farrell. <laughs> I read. <laughs> yeah. So well, okay. That's clear that up for the. For, we'll, we'll come back to it. I think you brought in week. any two guests. That it, there's a good chance there's a lot of disagreement. Yeah, 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 there yeah. is a lot of disagreement, which shows how difficult it is. To it be is. Ah, yeah, 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 absolutely. The fact there's so much disagreement made me 
lean towards well a yellow then maybe is enough but mm. I think by the letter of the law it was correct and maybe mm. the discussion has moved to whether the law is mm. appropriate to deal with the moment like that but Andy's completely undercut that conversation mm. with the mh mm. he was a sneak mm. uh, line so uh, we'll come back to it i suspect the only thing i can think the possible solution i've heard it discussed over the weekend i think johnny barkley made the point and is it being trialed in the southern hemisphere that you give a yellow card yeah. and in the ensuing 10 minutes the tmo has a yeah. thoughtful review of it it's like a placeholder yeah yeah and then decides mm. whether it should be upgraded to red that yeah. might be the solution it could well be yeah but i would i would take joe's initial point that if that happened to an Irish player in a World Cup final, we would be up in arms. Mm. I, oh, I, yeah, if I, I, yeah, I'd like to think I would be of the same opinion that okay. I, I, if mm. I saw an Irish lad doing something, he tried to get away with an elbow in the face. Well, this is where one thing we've got to talk about as well is that, you know, because England were so aroused, there was always a danger that they would be over-aroused. Alex Dombrandt was very fortunate to get away with a shoulder to the side of Johnny Sexton's head, which was late and high. The Ellis Genge off the ball tackle, hit, block on Ryan Baird was just unnecessary and lazy. Um, I don't know what Willis is trying to do with Ross Byrne. That's very dangerous. Yeah. They conceded 13 penalties, some of them very avoidable. Ireland have conceded two yellow cards in their last 21 matches. They've not conceded one yellow card in the Six Nations. They seem to be making a determined effort to tackle low. And, you know, you hope they always do, both for their opponent's health's sake and for their own so discipline's the, sake. But in they, terms of things that could go wrong, that was the big fear pre-game. And it is part of the modern game that you have to try and be as disciplined as possible. And they succeed very well in that. A mm. uh, very quick word on Andy Farrell, because clock's getting away from us. Uh, I, I don't know what you see. Like, my mind was blown by this Rob Kearney anecdote pre-game. Did you see no, no. Farrell v Farrell was much discussed and grandson of training and he's buying him Irish jerseys mm-hmm. and he's staying at the Farrell household and mm-hmm. then what jersey he's going to wear. Owen was like, better be English mm-hmm. on Saturday. I did see him. He was sitting right next to us and he had a flag which was half green, half white <laughs> in an English jersey. I thought that was a fair compromise. Yeah. Uh, so we were saying, well, how did the Farrell v Farrell thing go? And uh, Rob Kearney was saying that in Andy's initial years as defence coach with Ireland, he would step out of the room he would step out of the room when they were discussing Owen Farrell. Because um, it was awkward. They're, they're picking out Farrell's weaknesses, Owen Farrell's weaknesses. Joe is, Joe Schmidt is. Mm. And also, some of the language about what you're going to do to the opposition 10, as you might know, Andy, mm. isn't very uh, nice. Uh, until before the Grand Slam game in 2018, Andy Farrell stayed in the room. Owen Farrell came up on screen and he said to the group, and this is the first time he addressed his son. So according to Rob Garney, uh, when Owen gets the ball and when you get hold of Owen, dot, 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 you can imagine. And it was rough. Mm-hmm. And the whole room was kind of stunned into a, holy shit. Mm. <laughs> so we, we've no excuse not to go out and give it hell. And that was the first time he had addressed Owen specifically, but initially was stepping out of the room. I was like, the family dynamics here are just <laughs> off the charts. Is all, all is fair in love and war. Yeah. Um, so he now becomes Ireland's most successful coach. I think. Um, or do, do, do Joe Schmidt's titles in fourteen, fifteen? They're part of the beat New Zealand yeah. tour it, it, series win. Yeah, it's a matter of opinion. They're very closely aligned now. They're very close. The thing is that Andy Farrell hasn't finished yet. World Cup defines it, does it? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it defines it, but it certainly could do. <laughs> You know, um, Ireland have got to send their best ever team to the World Cup, but we also know it's the toughest draw they could have possibly have with the top five sides in the world in the same quarter. But uh, you've got to give credit to Joe as well. I think that mm. it's just been perfect timing. Joe Schmidt first, Andy Farrell next. Mm. I always remember one phrase that Johnny Sexton used about Joe Schmidt. In six words, he summed up Joe Schmidt's enduring legacy to Irish rugby. He taught us how to win. Like, it's almost, a, he performed mm. a lobotomy in Irish rugby. Mm. And then I know you had your criticism about where the team went, particularly in the last year, and that's fair mm. enough. Mm. And then Farrell has liberated them, taken it on to a much more nuanced attacking level and um, it and liberated them, as you say. But and I think it's an extraordinary team by the Farrell family that one is a head coach of a number one ranked side in the world, the other is the opposing captain. Mm. It must be a crazy dynamic for Colleen and is it Alicia and Gracie, the two sisters? Like, where, who do they root for? But... Um, Andy Farrell did say at the end of the of his press conference there that the this grandson was had an Irish pass on. <laughs> uh, where's Farrell for you then? Um, 
Yeah, it's a tricky one. I suppose how do you define most successful? Is it win percentages? Is it mm. championships versus Grand Slams? Is where do you weigh New Zealand winning the tour away? I would say he's Ireland's best head coach. If he's not, if the numbers don't stack up to say the most successful yet in terms of wins, I think That's he's the, the I think he's the best yeah. one. That's I think his point. his he has he doesn't lack any detail. He doesn't lack. Um, you know, attention to, to to detail that was Schmidt would have been lauded for so much, but what he's added onto that is this really intangible, hard to define quality of emotional intelligence, charisma, mm-hmm. capacity to get the absolute best out of his fellow man, whether that's his coach who he works with, or his senior player, or his young rookie coming through. Uh, relatability to the to the country now. I overall, I think yes, he's he's our best one, in my view. Mm. You know, I, I suddenly feel dirty after that because Joe Schmidt's so bloody good. I hate mm. when we yeah veer in any yeah, way. We haven't. T- I'm sorry, I've I know I've given out about him over the years, but we haven't tarnished him in this conversation. We've just we've just compared him. We're allowed to compare him, and overall, I think I would say Farrell win edges it. For, for those, for those kind of he, more intangible things, yeah. and he probably learned from those four years working under Joe as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, sure, you yeah, know. Yeah. So that Joe's Joe Schmidt is still a contributor to this team in a weird way. Even the 2009 team are just to get that monkey off the backs. Yeah. 61 years, or that must have been pressure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. And, and that was the frenetic running in all sorts of directions, yeah. Yeah. celebration. Yeah. So you yeah. see the difference in 23. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, that's three Irish head coaches in a row who've won the Grand Slam. Wow. Who, no, no pressure on next man in. <laughs> that's that's definitely a discussion for another day. Uh, just very briefly, just to mention when the weekend couldn't get much better for Irish rugby, the under-20s win a, a successive Grand Slam. I mean, this is quite something. Uh, Richie Murphy oversaw the win last year. They win again this year. They beat England at Musgrave Park. I mean, the conveyor belt is, is like Gus McCarthy looks like an extraordinary player you don't want to put pressure on, on uh, you know such a young person I mean he has the misfortune of having Ronan Kelleher Dan Sheehan and, and Rob Herring ahead of him like, yes. this is the, the talent there mm. so um, all is well I mean this, these are halcyon days they really are the system works it's a brilliant brilliant system when you look at what trouble Wales are in at under 20 bottom of the, the senior table. Level, bottom, bottom of the, the table. table yeah um their region's in a mess, non-competitive in the URC. They're going to have to get backdoor entrance into next year's Heineken Champions Cup because none of them will make the top eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're in financially in, in all sorts of trouble. Yeah. English game in something of a mess, overrated premiership. That's the problem when you have individual benefactors as o- owners. There's no doubt some of this fell into the IRFU's lap with four naturally made provinces and so forth and they had to be dragged kicking and screaming into the professional era but boy have they got it right from the yeah. grassroots up. They really have. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing time for Irish rugby. It's got to be the best of times. Freed from Desire also played at the full-time whistle Musgrave Park as they're trying to make this an anthem. I think this could become a <laughs> post-match anthem as well. The problem uh, is where do they all go because a lot of them are Leinster players aren't they and it's fairly stuffed in there. Well, like, where does Sam Prendergast go? Like, uh, we, we will need to over the next couple of weeks find a quiet week and discuss does there need to be a very genuine draft type system? Well I, yeah that's a separate discussion. We have to give credit for Nusa Four though as well behind all of this you know what I mean and all the appointments he's made and stuff it's just yeah. very I did know he swept in behind Andy Farrell towards the end of the game Yes, just yes, happened to be got on camera. <laughs> Oh, no, no, I'm embarrassed. No, 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 no. Uh, no credit to everyone where it's due. Uh, so rugby and off the ball is a thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Uh, producer Mick is saying a special thanks to the lads for their Six Nations contributions, the dream team. <laughs> for God's sake. So are you now retiring from rugby punditry until when? The World Cup, Andy? Can yeah. You, I'll, you can go I'll, to ground now. I'll go to ground, yeah. I'll hibernate for a while. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you'll watch a bit of Heineken Champions Cup. You might get a bit of Heineken Champions yeah, in, maybe. Ulster Derby. Yeah, yeah maybe. maybe. That. Yeah. Depends what side of the bed I, I get out of. Yeah. Uh, Must be great being Andy Dunn, isn't it? Uh, listen, it's, it's a dream. <laughs> Look at the hair, for God's sake. Uh, thank you very much, Andy. Appreciate Cheers, it. Jerry Thorny, The Irish Times. Thank you. Cheers, Joe. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. 